welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with a very special guest, a very talented guitar player that I had the pleasure of having lunch with kind of randomly two years ago, almost to the day, I believe. And here he is to join us and talk about his work with the Grand Bonnet Band and all kinds of stuff that he's done. Excellent guitar player, Conrado Passanato. How are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Thanks I'm for having me. Great. Um, I should have asked you, am I pronouncing your last name right? Passanato, yeah. Okay, good. Because mm-hmm. I'm horrible with names. People who have been no, following doing great. years know it. Uh, and do you prefer Conrad or Conrado? They both work. Conrado, Conrad. Okay, you know. good. Yeah, I grew up with both versions, so not good. <laughs> well, uh, you uh, and I met through uh, Bethany Heavenstone and Graham Bonnet um, right. when I was out visiting them before the NAMM show two years ago and uh, got to have lunch with you. That was great. It was really cool getting to know you. Um, you've been playing guitar, obviously, for a good majority of your life. How old were you when you started? Wow, uh, I think it was like 14. So it was not super early, but it's not a late eater. So uh, I played, um, I started with drums first, like not not a drum set, but like percussions. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, I'm Brazilian originally, I was born and raised there. And uh, there is a sport that's a mixture of a dance and a martial art called capoeira. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people sing and play drums and, and kind of practice the sport, which is like a martial art. You kick it and you kind of dance it and stuff. And you sing songs and you play the live music. And um, and I start with those kind of instruments, the berimbau, the, the, the tabaki, which is like a percussion of hand drums mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Uh, you can see you can hear a lot of those sounds on the Sepultura album roots. They mixed all those elements with the metal. And so I started music with that, which I think was very good because gave me a very good understanding of rhythm yeah and and you know and a feel for an actual feel for rhythm which in music i feel like it's the main thing really rhythm so and and that's it and then like after that like i started listening to a lot of you know metal and classic rock bands and uh and then i was like man you know the, the percussion's cool but guitar sounds a lot more fun so <laughs> i started playing guitar i was like 14 and, and i would say definitely there was like a lot of albums that made me make the switch you know back in the day i remember fear off the dark was coming out and i was like i heard it out i was like wow that's such a good song and like and i heard like uh like again this particular sepultura album roots which he had the percussions and and all that and the guitars and really heavy guitars and like that tune to be and i was like wow this is really cool and and yeah so i made the switch from percussion to guitar around that era very influenced by those records i mean iron maiden and then then at some point somebody showed me Deep Purple, and then I think it was up on the hill from there. <laughs> do, you, do you remember which album? Uh it was definitely Machine Head. Yeah, like yeah. when I yeah, and I remember when I when I heard like uh, the car solo off like Highway Star. I was like, wow, what is this? It's like and I remember I kept just like it was a tape, right? And, and I kept just rewinding just the guitar solo just to hear the guitar solo again because it's such a beautiful well-constructed melodic like it's like a song within the song you know it's such yeah. a it's like arguably one of the best guitar solos that was ever written in my humble opinion and uh, i'm sure a lot of people would agree with it it's technically and, insane though isn't it i mean it's it's like multiple modes at the same time it's it's kind of an unprecedented type solo oh 100 yeah for the era it was like revolutionary i mean like you know the picking he does in the end and the phrasing and the harmonies like he does like all the, the the duets and stuff the twin lead thingy Mm-hmm. And uh, it, but again, it's like it, it it's so well built. It's so because it, it tells a story, and for me, like as a guitarist, I feel like that's a big part of writing a good guitar solo. It's like to tell a story. You have a beginning, 
you have a middle, you have an end, you have a climax. You know, it's like it's a song within the song. You know, I think those mm-hmm. are the songs I definitely gravitate towards it. And and then from that, I was just like fell in love with anything that Richie Blackmore would put his hands on it. Well, you're you're pretty much when you're doing the solo section, you're pretty much giving the singer a rest and taking a verse on their behalf. So you're kind of having to musically continue the story that they're telling, right? That's correct. That's correct. You, you know, again, you're taking the lead, right? That's like, you know, the, the words speak by itself. You're actually leading there. You're giving a break, as you correctly said it. You're giving a break to the lead singer, and you're taking the lead melody yourself with the guitar. So I always try to, sure, it's nice to put a lot of notes and be technical about it. And I think it's all part of good guitar playing. And but I feel it all has to have a purpose, like within the song. And and again, that can be that can feel very personal from from artist to artist, from guitar player to guitar player, you know, from even listener to listener. Like, mm-hmm. but I, I like the idea of solos you can kind of sing along, like you know, you have signature licks and something you can kind of like, ha, ah, you I remember this little melody, like you know, I like to put hooks on my solos, you know. But you but see- you're right. You know, you, you're definitely taking like a verse or a bridge or right. something like so that. Do you mean, do you mean like you like your solos to be lyrical? Um, I would say so. Yeah. Like, you know, like for instance, like Highway Star, you know, you can sing the solo, you know, and I think that's such a good achievement, you know, like so many guitar players, like, you know, forget about that but like i think it's just you can actually sing a melody with your voice and like you're actually telling a melodic story mm-hmm. you know and again i'm not don't don't not talking about technique i appreciate technique i do put some some speed in my solos too i think it's nice to have a little spice here and there sure but i feel a lot of times like some guitar players they forget a little bit about like okay let's just tell a story here let's just have like a rich melodic content and that doesn't necessarily have to be slow or whatever you know it can be fast like like highway star for instance the end you know mm-hmm. but i i just like melodies i like strong melodies and, and sometimes if, if you if there's too much speed you compromise a little bit on the melody i think you can compromise a little bit i i would absolutely agree with that and i think there's like for me i'm in general not mm. a huge fan of incredibly fast guitar playing. And I, and I don't mean right. to pick on anybody individual, but I think Yngwie yeah, right, right. is a great example because of his, he's known so much for his speed. Yeah. And when I put that in, in drum context, being a drummer, I think about a guy like Terry Bazio from Missing Persons and Frank yeah. Zappa. The mm-hmm. guy can play unbelievably incredible things. Oh, geez, yeah. But when I think about, okay, but what can you do with that other than sit there and show it off in a solo? I don't find a lot of application for it in a song. So I can appreciate it on one end, but I, I can say I don't think it necessarily fits um, the, the kind of musicality that you could play in a band. Um, when I listen to you play, you are like right up to that edge of if you went a little bit further, I might not, it might not suit my personal taste, but you find <laughs> that like you go right to the wall and then you stop every song. It. And I love that. Because I, I find it. I find your playing to be something that I can hear what you're doing, I can get into it, I can appreciate it, I can feel what you're feeling or imagine mm-hmm. I'm feeling what you're feeling, right? And identify with it. It doesn't push past that. And I think for me as a listener, that's really important. Thank you, I appreciate it. Uh, that's definitely some I, I I try to do, and I, I'm very grateful that you know people gravitate towards that. Like I'm. Grateful for your words. Uh, that's definitely the idea. I feel like 
And then again, like I was raised in a lot of guitar players, like you know Richie Blackmore and David Gilmour and Jeff Back, and they all tell a story. You know, sure they have some moments that they go a little crazy, mm-hmm. especially Richie Blackmore. I was three ones, and Jeff Back too. Sure. They all they have moments that they actually just let it loose and just go for it, and that's beautiful within the context. But they never seem to forget the song, you know. Yeah. And I I always feel like if you forget the song and you lose a little bit, and 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 I and I the, you know because like again for me like I think Steve Vibe, which is another guitar player that worked with Graham, he's a very good example of how to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, for my personal taste, when he goes a little bit on too much Frank Zappa territory, he loses me a little bit with it because mm-hmm. that's kind of like yeah, I appreciate it, I can see where he's coming from, and like you know, I think it's definitely time and space for that kind of playing music and and you know is and all that kind of different approaches and i appreciate that but sometimes when he's a little more on the bluesy on the soulful side for me he's like has a really good balance off that like you know there's just the right amount of melody but then out of nowhere it's just like this incredible amount of technique that comes out and and just like wow but it's a climax you know he definitely builds you up to that and again you know i'm not saying anything negatively about any artist oh, yeah, like, no. like you or not but like you know, I love Inve, and I think Inve actually, out of the guys that play that fast, he's the one that I'm like, oh yeah, he he actually has the feel and has the the melodic stuff. He's actually one that he has both. But but I agree with you. I, I definitely gravitate towards more like guys that tell a little bit more of a story, like you know, like John Sykes, like oh, you know, John Sykes. Yeah, what a great example. I mean, incredible. Like his yeah. work with White Snake. Every time yeah. I, I sit down and listen to what he did, I'm like, man, this guy is just unbelievable. Yeah. And yet he's not in that, you know, top hundred guitarists of of all time list. I don't you know, understand why are, not because he's yeah. phenomenal. His tone, his playing, and and again for me, he's like what you were talking about. He's just he has it, but it's just so well balanced within the context of the song. And what a great singer too he is. Mm-hmm. And um, you know Gary Moore, of course, another incredible example. Like I mean, I yeah. I love Finn Lizzy and Gary Moore. For me, his work with Phil Lynott it's amazing. But his solo stuff too is phenomenal. I mean, like you know Scott Gohan from Finn Lizzy. I mean, you know all those guys. I mean, I'm, you know again Finn Lizzy is one of my favorite bands. So I I like those kind of because for me, if like it was very important always to, and I think you know if I must say so myself. It's, I always try to be a good guitar player in the context of the band. You know what I'm saying? I feel like, yes, it's fun. And I've done like a project where I just play some of my instrumental things, which you'd have a verse and a chorus instrumentally, kind of like Joe Satriani kind of material, that kind of stuff. I have songs and material that I wrote with that kind of approach. But mm-hmm. I feel like I definitely excel and being part of a song part of a band and and I, I pride myself for that i feel like you have to be willing to work in the context of a band you know because that because that's the thing too like you know is even like working with a friend like an artist like Rams, for instance he had so many guitar players so there's so much space for in the songs for to become a fucking shred fest if you want to go that route you know right. because some of the guys previously did that and it just but like i just feel a little that's not what the song asks for. And even live, you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes he's singing and I see some other guitar players playing with him and they're like, and like, you know, and that's okay to have those moments with vocal and guitar. And they're both kind of leading. Then we're playing off of each other. And we do have moments like that on the stage being Graham and it's magical. And it's very special. I'm 
very grateful to share a stage with such a legendary musician as him. But I, I just feel like, okay, when I play the lead, I play the lead. When, I, when you have a lead vocal there, you know, you have to be thoughtful of the band. What is supporting the lead vocal? What is supporting the song, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think and that's why I gravitate more towards guitar players like Richie or Michael Shanker or yeah. Fox from Uriah Heep, who's another yeah. one who... You know, I, I did a whole podcast on them covering every song they ever recorded. Yeah. And I got to learn mix style very well. And he really plays for the song. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what really you're talking about is you're talking about not playing for here's what I can do in a song yeah. versus here's what the song, here's a continuation of the feeling of the song. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, you know, some of that, it's, it's kind of like spice, you know, like it's, I like spicy food, so it's nice to... Put a little bit of oh, there's a little bit of heat there, you know. Mm-hmm. But it has to be done a, like for me. And again, and that's a matter of personal taste. I'm, I'm sure, sure there's a lot of guitar players that gravitate towards super fast and super technical all the time, and, and that's okay too. But it's just for me, I like to support the song. You know what I'm saying? I like to, yeah. You know, there's a message there, especially if there's a singer. You know, if there's a singer there, then it's like my job's just you know to to support the song. Well, what can I do here? You know, and even guys like. I think are brilliant at that. Like guys like The Edge from U2, which, you know, he's not per se like a much of a lead guitar player. At, but again, he has such a signature style and a, such a signature tone too, which for me, it feels very, very important. Have a good tone that fills it up, the band. And, you know, and you are within your range. You're not stepping on the bass because you're too bassy on your tone. You're not stepping on the, you know, on, or the chords you're doing, you work with the keyboard player, especially in a keyboard guitar band like Deep Purple, Rainbow, you know, Alcatraz, they're all guitar keyboard bands. So, you know, find the right chord voices and the right melodic things so you guys are just not doubling each other and, you know, you're just complementing each other. So I feel like mm-hmm. it's all, all that's very important. And I feel like a lot of guys are just like, oh, let me just shred here and, you know, I'll be all right. It's like, no, that's that's part of it. And, you know, and, and it's great, but like you you have to, work within the context of the band and i and i value that very much no you're you're absolutely right so but that leads mm-hmm. me to a question so when you're writing a song like like when you were working on uh the album a day out of nowhere the most recent okay. grand bonnet band album yeah uh first of all i love your tone i want to talk to you about that Thank but you. um when you when you're writing the songs do you write with a solo in mind do you plan out what you want to play or do you just go in there and you play what you feel in that moment um, that's a great question. Uh, when I'm writing a song, basically, and that's again, you know, a part I think it's very, very important on the whole playing the solo. Sometimes people don't talk about it. It's like, what do you have under the solo? Mm-hmm. So, like, what kind of chord progression? So, like, when I'm playing a solo, when I'm especially when I'm writing the music, it's like my song, like instrumentally speaking, which a lot of those in the album where are mine, instrumentally speaking, and Graham did the, the melody and the top line and the, and the lyrics and all that. Mm-hmm. But I wrote the chord progressions and the riffs and all that. I try to get make the section a song within the song, but it starts with the chord progressions, you know, with the rhythm. What kind of, like, I try to put even maybe a key change there. So it's in a different key. For instance, the song number two on the album, which is uh, 12 Steps to Heaven, that guitar solo has like, three different keys on that solo it starts in B minor and then it goes to D median then it goes to F sharp F, F sharp minor and then I think ends in D minor you know so like I'm changing keys in the space of the solo and then again I when I wrote I wrote the music because I wanted 
to go somewhere else that I feel like I have first to have the the foundation. So it's a very important to have the chords and what, what's under the solo, you know what I'm saying? Not right. just what it's playing on top, because that's really what's going to dictate what you play on top of it. But people forget about that. Mm-hmm. Really, the chords that you have under and, you know, the rhythm and the kind of dynamic you have under the guitar solo, you really it's going to dictate where you're going to play or where you're not going to play, you know? Right. So so I feel like that for me, I always try to, okay, I wrote this part of the song, now it's a solo. Where do I want to go with the solo? So like I usually change the key, I go to a relative minor key or a relative Dorian or relative Lydian, you know, but pick a different scale or a different, for that part, or it starts with the chord progression. And then once I feel good about that part, the chord progression, then I'll come back and I start jamming on top of it. And now, um, then that can take a long time for me. <laughs> like I just jam a cup on the, and I start like just comping. Like, okay, this little part here, this is nice. And they're like, okay, what about this part here? And then like, I, I the comp and like, and I try to visualize and then just close my head, close my eyes and just kind of hear inside my head, like see if a melody comes up, you know, like mm-hmm. then just maybe sing it. And, and again, especially if I am within the beginning of the solo, like the, I try to like just come up with something melodic that I can actually sing along. So it's a, it's very vocal. And then eventually I try to towards the, the end and the middle, I try to put, put a little bit more of like, okay, a little bit more notes there, like a climb or an arpeggio, a little, a little bit more of that towards the end for more like a climatic stuff, you know? But at first, the first part of it, I try to just listen, like see if some melody just comes in my mind, borderline vocally, you know? And like, and then from that, I identify that on the guitar and I start jamming and putting the little pieces together. And then I, then I learned the parts and then I record it. Well, that's good. I was glad, I'm glad you added that because I was going to say, it sounds like it's such a natural one take solo. It doesn't sound like you're comping little pieces together. I know, so. no, it, it, it is one take, but yeah. like, but the I writing learned process it. Of yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. The writing process, I just like, I, I hear parts and I'm like, just, okay, just, just save this little part here. And then like, I hear parts and let's just save it. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes, but, but but again, some of some of them, it's just okay. This one's like more like a bluesy rock feel. There's not a lot to it, so I can just kind of let it loose and just just jam it. Mm-hmm. But but some of some of them, I definitely you know worked out like uh, Twelve Steps in Heaven, for instance. Like that that's all. It's definitely one of the ones that I feel has a little more more going on. And the beginning, I knew I wanted that kind of neoclassical like almost violin approach to it, which yeah. Richie Blackmore started, but then Inve does a lot with the steps. Like, you know, like kind of Paganini type of violin phrase. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I came up with that. And then after I went to key change to the deleting, and then I wanted to just to be like a, a melodic storytelling kind of thing. And then I, after the key changes, like whatever I feel. So it's definitely like, I'm not going to lie and say like they're all first takes, <laughs> but they're one takes, you know, they're definitely right. one takes, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, but I, the, the writing part, uh, I usually, okay, just part here works and just to comp it the parts. I like that process though. I, I think it, it allows you to really examine every part of what you're doing as opposed to just going in and going, all right, that's what I played. It's good. And, and walking away, you know, you can really create something that has meaning. But that really suits the whole album, because to me, that album, I remember saying to Graham, I said, there's something about this album that feels incredibly personal. And that's so weird to say, because as writers, everything we write is personal, right? Every album I've done, every album you've done, it's all personal. I agree. There's something that's so much more to the soul 
I guess, on this album. And I feel that way musically. Was that your experience writing it? Um, yeah, I've, I mean, like out of the two albums I, I, I made with GBB, um, I liked the book a lot because it was the first and that was just like a very good vibe back then. Mm-hmm. But this one, I wouldn't even say that was a good vibe because, you know, it was right in the middle of the pandemic and there was a lot of things going on on the, you know, on the background, like as far as politics and labels and mm-hmm. breaking with management and there's so much chaos on that side of the business. And also was the pandemic, as I said it before, and like I lost my dad in the pandemic. I lost like my uncle my my cousin, I lost a lot of family members in the pandemic, so I feel definitely being in lockdown and uh, and for me personally losing family members around that time, it made things a lot heavier. Like you know, I think it's a little heavier than the book for sure. Like you know, it's a little more metal, if you if I must say. So maybe more personal because it, that wasn't a way not to be personal for me at least as a writer. Because, you know, again, there was so much going on, anxiety of being in lockdown and, you know, for everyone. we Nobody really knew what was this and so much misinformation and information and like, oh, the vaccine is bad. Vaccine is good. Or like, you know, you should got to buy toilet paper. You don't. Yeah, it's like, you know, there's so much going on. That I was like, and, and the good thing is that's still going on. I just saw that there was a report from Florida now where they're recommending that you don't continue the vaccinations because they found something in it that's questionable. I'm like, oh, for crying out loud. I know. I was like, oh, look, look, I took two and I'm whatever. That's that's a whole different conversation. And like, but again, it was a very, you know, intense, anxious time for, for society, I think. And for me personally, and, and Graham, too, he lost some friends to COVID. Bad for me, lost some friends and lost her parents. I think we all yeah. had a lot of loss around that time. Of, so I think definitely because we had loss, uh, the album for sure has that. It became very personal and also heavy and kind of anxious. It does make sense. It was it that really time. Does, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, did, uh, did you do something different for your tone on this album? Because it does sound heavier than what your tone was on the book. Yeah, uh, it doesn't sound that far off from it. Like I could tell it's it's you, but it does sound a little bit heavier. Did you change anything in your setup? There were a couple of things. Uh, I feel like there are a couple of things I did change. The main source, as far as the distortion, as far as the guitar, no, it's just the same guitar, like same pickups. You know, my same old Strat that I love. And um, but from I feel like there's a couple of things. One's like there's. I mean, they both have some songs in drop D, you know, mm-hmm. so that makes it a little heavy. But I think I think the Out in the Wire has probably a couple more, like has 12 Steps, Sky's Alive, uh, The One with Dawn, it's just a freaking song, it doesn't drop D. Has like Uncle John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, has, I think it has maybe more drop Ds because like the first, oh, yeah. the book only has Where Were You was a drop D and Strangest Day. That was Drop T. So I feel like having more songs in Drop T, like how many songs? So 12 Steps, Uncle John, Sky's Alive, just a freaking song. And yet there's twice as many songs on the book than there is in Day Out of Nowhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but those are the recordings, but yes. Right, yeah. And and then again, yeah, so I think there's because there's more Drop T songs, maybe gives that impression, but as far as the tone, yes. Because on that album... And, and I think for me personally, the space I had between working on those two albums was was very valuable because I learned a lot as a producer. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like, cause during those years that I had hiatus working with Graham, I, I focused a lot in working in the studio. So I got to record with a bunch of different artists. I recorded with uh, Zayn Malik, who was a singer in One Direction, the pop band. I recorded with uh, Christian Machado, which was the singer of this band called uh, Il Nino. So I was very busy with studio work primarily. I did a little bit of touring with Marco Mendoza, who was in Finn Lizzy and, and uh, Ted Nugent in, in Journey lately. So I did a little bit of touring with him, but I was a lot focused on the studio, you know, talking with a lot of producers, friends of mine. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot heavier and more into like learning how to record, learning how to produce. So I got a lot better at that, at the studio work. Yeah. Like those three years, I definitely zone in and like I start really focusing on producing. So, but as far as the tone, uh, on the first one, I was a little green, I think. So I used a couple of different things, like different plugins, you know, like guitar strings and computer and different plugins. Yeah. I think in a couple of songs, I used the one, the, the previous version of the Fractal, which is the, the digital simulations, like a pedal board, like a computer mm-hmm. for guitars type of thing. And this one, I used everything. It was just a fractal. Oh, All the really? guitars. Okay. Yeah. So just plug everything to the fractal. But this is the new generation of the fractal, the FM3. Uh, and um, yeah, I didn't use a real amp. And that's what I've been using to tour live too. I, I wow. plugged the fractal into like a power amp by KSR with real tubes. So it's like a digital distortion, but goes into like a real tube power amp. So warms it up and makes it more real. Right. So well, that's, that's kind of the sound trick. great on stage. Yeah, and again, it's it, exactly that's and it's consistent, and I can bring with me everywhere, you know. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 like basically a pedal board, and I use a simulation of a preamp, a simulation of my pedals, and all my effects within this pedal board. That's about like maybe six, seven pounds mm-hmm. heavy, and then like this is like a power amp, like fifty watts, fully tubed, like you know, with real tubes. Like, a, it's like this, it's like the ser- the the power amp section of a Marshall amp basically right but it's just a bar and then like and again it's like 10 pounds so both of those together with my cables is like 20 pounds max so i put that with me in my suitcase with my clothes and everything has to be below 50 pounds <laughs> perfect yeah yeah which is great you know, because you're you're doing a lot i mean you're la based but your most of your gigs are in europe and and all over the world you guys were in what was it mexico not too long ago and yeah yeah we're um, in colombia we we're in like japan last year colombia spain uk so yeah we like we do a lot of flying gigs dates and like i just got tired of showing up and you know most of the people we work with they're very professional high quality but sometimes you would have that situation that you show up and you have like a, a marshall combo or a black star combo which i'm like i'm not you know i love marshall amps they're my amps for sure but mm-hmm. like a combo it's like bro like i need like a 412 like a <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm the only guitar player here i mean like i you know i'm covering shanker i'm covering blackmore i'm invade <sighs> It's like a it's like a Marshall Stack sound, you know. So so I had to develop a system that I can travel with and have consistency every night. I mean, sure, if I had a Marshall working great working quality with new tubes and service and and like my pedal board with real pedals every night, I'm much rather the real thing, still the real thing. Yeah. And especially if you have like a good but a good power supply, because Marshalls they sound different in different venues because of the the current the power mm-hmm. that you're plugging it into it right and uh but yeah no it's just not realistic and it's a lot cheaper for me to do it like that and a lot more consistent and, and, and in all fairness it's sounding great i mean like i'm, I'm happy with the tone and, and i'm getting a lot of compliments like people are like man i love your tone and like more now so that i'm using digital than when i was using the the real pedal board with the real amp and all that 
Well, plus you're getting the consistency without the effort of, you know, what happened to my dials while I was on the airplane and, you know, all yeah. those things that can happen. Exactly. I, I'll tell you, I did, uh, I played, uh, had the pleasure of playing at Red Rocks in Colorado many, wow. many years ago when I was 19. I see my book at least for venues. Is it really? Amazing. Oh, yeah. I think I was like 19 or so when I did it and it was just wow. me. Amazing. So I, I just set up my drums. They allowed me to come in and play as long as I wanted. And I just set up my drums. I hit the bass drum and I just listened to it reverberate off the rocks. It was the most incredible sound. When Amazing. you set up and you're sound checking at some of these venues that you're playing, I mean, you're playing huge festival venues when yeah. you go to Europe. Yeah. That just has to be so incredibly satisfying to just hit a chord and listen to your tone right. in those venues. That's got to be amazing. Yes, yes, yes. For, for, you, you, you definitely hit the nail in the head there. Because for me, like, the two most addicting parts, addictive parts that you just get really addicted to it, like, in the whole game is, that's one of them. You know, you touch your guitar and there's like a Marshall amp there with four twelve, like, super loud. And then that's mic'd. And that, that's improper speakers, and you boom, boom. You just change one string, and you hear all the sound. And you, I was like, and then, like, and you know, so yes, that's definitely feels great. You just feel so powerful of a little movement you make in your hand, all the sound comes out. And yes, that's like a very special feeling for sure. That's no doubt. And the other thing for me, it's like, again, as you said earlier in the interview, like when you're writing stuff, it's so personal, it comes from such a personal place. So to share that with people I never met. You know, you see people like, for instance, like this time we went to Japan and we got to play like three songs that I co-wrote with Graham on the set list, which was like two from this album, like Imposter and Uncle John and Into the Night from the book. So just to see the lyrics are Graham's and the melodies are Graham, but like the instrumentals are mine on those songs. And I'm like, just see people vibing to that riff and hat banging or, you know, it's it's in connecting with something you created when you were in a, such a personal space. It's yeah. very special too. So for me, those two things combined is like, so good. I yes, can you. very much identify with both of those. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And, and as as a composer who doesn't tour, I mean, mm. I played live with bands, but you right. know, the stuff I'm doing now, I'm just studio. So I don't get to experience that. And and unless somebody says, Hey, I listened to your song or this or that, I don't get any of that. So it's a it's a right. much different life. So I'm glad that you get to experience that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I'm yeah, I, I don't take that for granted in any they, you know, in any form, like I, I'm super grateful that I get to kind of, you know, even just going to a store, like first, again, after the Japanese tour, we were there for a couple of days just to see the city. And, you know, I've been to Tokyo before, but you know, it's always nice to go there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I got to go to Tower Records there, which is still like a massive store because they still, still, I think it's the only market that the CG sales are still higher than streaming. Wow. Like Japan, they still buy records. So like mm -hmm. they still buy more records. The revenue of music there still comes primarily from selling records, physical records, like CDs and vinyls and all that, then from streaming. It's a very different industry. And like, so you go to Tower Records, still a very much happening place, you know, like a lot of people buying albums and DVDs and all sorts of things. And like, you know, getting there and seeing like a record there, which has your music on it, it looks, it's definitely very rewarding. Like, oh man, how many people come here and just bought the album and heard this one riff I you know, wrote in my bedroom or in a hotel room when I was on tour or, you know, or whatever it was. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's definitely just, yeah, uh, it's rewarding the, the endorphins must be flying through your system at that point. Yeah. But when you first started playing with Graham, was that, uh, filling in an Alcatraz? No, that was before. No, that was before. Like I started him in 2014. Uh, 
when he was just starting, because basically he had like a he had his own version of Alcatraz until 2013. Mm-hmm. With uh, I think the guitar player was this really good guitar player. His name is Howie Simon. Okay, he played with Jeff Scott Soto and then I think he's in he played with Nelson too. I think he plays with uh, Striper too here and there. Mm. Um, great guitarist. And so they're doing that for a minute. I mean, I don't know exactly what happened, but Graham decided to start something different. And him and Beth, and he met Beth, I mean, and not how things started. They wanted to do something different. I think he was frustrated with his old version because, I, from what I know, and I don't know, and, and you know, please somebody correct me if I'm talking shit, but he, they were not writing. They were more focused on just keep playing the old material. And Graham wanted to write new songs. That's the version I heard. But, uh, and then, you know, when he met Beth and me and stuff, they decided to start something new and they start writing new songs. And that was the focus of writing new songs. And that's when they had, initially, they had like another guitar player in mind, which I think his name was Mario Parga. He recorded with Graham in one of his previous solo albums. I forgot which one of his, his previous solo albums. But his name was Mario Parga. And he was very good. He was very good. But for whatever reason, that didn't work out. And then they called me like, yeah, do you want to see what happens? And I was like, okay. But that was like 2014. Okay. And, and and at first I'm like, I was a little scared, you know, I wouldn't lie because like, you know, he did had a lot of really, really, really incredible guitar players. And I told him, I was like, look, I, you know, I write and I love writing, I love creating and I, you know, I love playing, but I'm not necessarily the guy that plays all the invade stuff, no for no. And mm-hmm. I never wanted to be that guy. And, you know, now I play some of the songs, no for no, just out of, just out of the personal challenge. And I learned some of that, but like, but I was just, you know, because there's a lot of guys that really dive in into the whole Invade and they sound just like Invade and they're great at playing Invade and yeah. which is a very specific thing. There's a lot of guys that go for that. But for me, I just really never saw a point in trying to sound like anybody else because I, yeah. I would suck at it. So like, I don't even, haven't even learned any, I probably learned like five solos my whole entire life, no for no, like by yeah. somebody else, maybe five, maybe six. And uh, so I told him, like, look, I don't, if you guys, if you want like an Envy type of guy, uh, that's not what I do. But if you want to just jam and play some songs and write some songs, I would love that. And then like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. I want you to be yourself. I don't want like yeah. a guy that sounds like Envy. I don't want a guy that sounds like Steve. I don't want a guy that sounds like Richie Blackmore. I was like, just be yourself. I was like, okay, that's great. And then I was 2014 and we start jamming and, and that was it. Like we start coming up with songs. The first one was the song called The Mirror Lies. That he had the song, you know, he, but it was like in the acoustic guitar. That one, the music's his. Like, he had a, this whole song in the acoustic guitar written already. And I just made it rock. I just put a riff on top of it because he was just playing with chords. Jing, 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 you know, like a, it was oh. almost like a dick. Right. Like, you know, yeah. acoustic guitar and just chords. And so I made it like electric guitar appropriate, per se. <laughs> you know, like I, I riffed that up his chord progressions. Yeah, and and that was it. And then we, we and he liked the arrangement. And then like he had this other song by Kingdom Come, and that's the first time I actually got to produce him oh. and record his voice and engineer his voice. And he liked the final result, so I, I I produced those two songs. You know, I captured his vocal performance, I captured bass performance by Bethany, I captured the the drums. You know, I captured everything and I produced. I didn't mix it, but I produced and I engineered the capturing of the performances. I added it and stuff and sent to to, to engineer to to mix it. Right. So that was the mirror lies. That was 2014. No, it was 2015. Was it that a little first... weird though that the first time you're recording Graham and you're mixing him and you decide 
I just decided what Grambana is going to sound like on this project. Like that's yeah. kind of a weird feeling, isn't it? Yeah, it really was. And 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 again, back then I, and again back then I was I wasn't really sure. I was still a little, you know, because I think it's normal to be a little doubtful of, of your judgment, you know, especially when you're working with somebody that caliber. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have to just go for it, you know. It's like, and and I'm like, and again, I, I try to, you know make it clear for for him like look, i mean i have nothing but tons of respect for everything you did and your whole legacy but you know if i'm here producing i might suggest you do this you know and, and, but after a couple of times you know graham's such an easy guy he's such a no pun intended down to earth person and uh you know so he make you know and then all of a sudden he start burping and making jokes and you know, being the Graham you met and being right. super friendly and silly and playful. And that makes you a lot more comfortable. So, yeah, yeah that, but, but for me, it was a big learning, even just like, because one thing that's really noticeable about his work as a vocalist is the vocal harmonies. Mm-hmm. So his sense of vocal harmonies were like, for me, it was such a learning experience because at first I was like, okay, I, I, I don't know. And then he's like, no, trust me. And then like play the idea there. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, and, and so around those first recordings, I was the one like, not really understanding much about what was going on with all that and like harmonies. And, but then afterwards, like I'm down in aware, I was like, all right, Graham, maybe there's one more for us to put it there. Cause, you know, cause sometimes, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah. Cause well, I remember. I that's, that's definitely one of his uh, strengths is his harmonies. I mean, you, you yeah. listen to the way that he oh, yeah. layers it and it's almost like until you hear the isolated tracks, like if I've gone back and I've heard isolated tracks from like mm-hmm. Deep Purple's album burn and, and things like yeah. that no clue that some of those things were in the song because of the way that they're blended in. But when you can really appreciate the individual layers, yeah, and you can really appreciate the final product and the vision. hundred percent. Like for instance, like a song, like, uh, like we did like imposter, the the, the main single of the out of nowhere, like that chorus would have like a double vocal on the lead doing the same thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we'd have two different harmonies doing different melodies, like one high one and a low one, but they're all below the, the chorus like the lead is like the high one then then one below then one below and every of those two harmonies so it's like two takes for the main melody and then like for every harmony you have three takes so just for that chorus it's that like legitimately like eight vocal takes yeah just like i'll blend it in just mix just to make it you know mm-hmm. that kind of effect but that's that's the same with since you've been gone for instance since you've been gone also has one lead and two harmonies so that mm-hmm. became his sound. My game's the same. One lead and two harmonies. So it's the vocal chord that he does in the choruses and stuff, you know? And, and again, we always double the lead and we triple the harmony. So we put one harmony in the middle, lower, and then the two with pen L and R being around. So And the lead vocal, we leave it in the center. That makes a lot That's of sense. We make. So the lead vocal in the center, the double in the center, a little below, then the harmonies we put on left and right. Well, that actually leads me to a question. Um, you mentioned since you've been gone, and yeah. being that you're a more technical player, do you find that song difficult to play? Is it too simple? Do you kind of just like zone out a little bit because you don't have to really focus, or do you have to focus uh, more because it's so simple? That's a great question. I feel like sometimes I I make silly mistakes because I yes, it's a little you like oh okay, <laughs> you know you, you know right now it's like a bit of second nature, but sometimes yes, I space out because it's like. You know, and I was like, oh, fuck, is that one? Part? Yeah, they happen sometimes. But mm-hmm. I mean, as far as the solo goes, I, I again, I do my own thing. And Graham just yeah. give me, you know, just permission to just be myself. 
Mm-hmm. I do my own interpretation of it, as I did in the in the in the, the version we recorded in the book, the second right. album of the book, just the re-recordings. Mm-hmm. So you know, I try to, and again, how I how I do it, it's like learning other solos. I try to feel like the same principle as I'm writing my solos. If I can sing the melody, I probably play no for no. Yeah. If it's like a part that I can actually sing, then I play no for no. But if, but if it's a bit of like a noodle kind of, I'm kind of okay. I'm gonna do my own noodle within that kind of context. That makes sense. You know what I'm saying? So it's like if there's a part that I, oh I can sing this part, I can sing along with this little lick. Then I play that lick just no for no. But then if it's something that's like a little too fast or a little too jammy, then I just do my own interpretation within the same key, within the same sort of range of the guitar. And that, yeah, you know. I like that. Well, I got a couple more questions for you, if you don't yes, mind. Um, I want to ask you about your band Out of the Woods, because I wasn't able to find a lot of information nice. on the Internet. Uh, what can you mm-hmm. tell me? Like, what's the status? What are you guys doing uh, we're still doing things. Out of the Woods is a project that I started when I had a hiatus with Graham around 2017, because between 2017 and 2020, me and Graham we had a hiatus. So that I started Out of the Woods around that, and which basically, it's it was a new version of a band I had for a long time with some guys, some players that uh, were a bunch of like LA guys that were doing other gigs, and we just decided to start our own band, and then, you know, but it was something totally different. Uh, and we're still recording music. We recorded a couple EPs. We recorded like a couple singles. You know, you can find us on Instagram and iTunes and Spotify and YouTube and all that. Okay, cool. But uh, we're working on a new EP now with probably six songs. And it's definitely going to come out soon enough. We're just mixing. It's oh. very different than Graham, which I like it because, it, yeah. you know, it gives me a whole different approach to music. I don't even play guitar solos at all. I mean, and then you album, I will a couple of guitar solos on the new EP, but so far we have it. I don't even play guitar solos at all. It's definitely seven strings and it's very, it's like a heavy pop, heavy rock kind of metal, you know? So we have some Gotro screamings here and there. Hmm. Some stuff is a little clean, like, you know, think of like vocals like Chester from Linkin Park and stuff. So it's definitely that kind of more like a modern era of rock stuff, which it's cool. It's like, you know, I I mean, I appreciate everything. I mean, again, my, my playlist goes, again, from Deep Purple, Rainbow, White Snake, you know, like Captain Beyond, all the way to like, I don't know, like even rap, depending on the artist. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't necessarily. For me, it's like, because again, I remember being young, right? And when I was young, especially us metalheads, and especially if we play music, us the rockers and metalheads, especially if you're musicians, we try to be a, become a little elitist and like, ah, oh, this guy doesn't play, this music doesn't have, you know? And I don't know, like after just doing work on myself, I'm like, man, you know, like, then it starts to get into the whole judging, oh, this is good music, this is bad music, this is good music, this is bad music. You know, based on the capacity, the technical aspect of it and like how complicated it is to play and, and all that. Mm-hmm. But after like getting a little older and hopefully wiser, I don't know, man. I, I don't necessarily. I came to a conclusion that I am obviously not the rule. I'm not the lion to decide, the judge. <laughs> like, what's good music and what's bad music, you know? Well, we so can right only, now, we can only mm. say I I enjoy this or I don't enjoy this. But then, hundred percent, you're the more intelligent uh, musician. You're going to say, but what can I learn from it? That, that's it. You just yeah, that's exactly what is going up this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So like like if you listen to say Eminem. For example, yeah. some of the most amazing rhythms come out yeah. of that man's mouth. 
yeah. whether you enjoy his stories, what he's talking about, whatever, that's a different issue. Yeah. But to, to be able to listen to what he's doing and go, find a flow in it, find a rhythm, yeah. and then find something you could do with that. There's exactly. talent there. Oh, 100%. That's what I'm saying. You can say you you like it and don't like it, and that's totally fine. You have all the right in the world to like or don't like whatever you want. It's just art right. in the end of the day. You know, that doesn't make you a better or worse person. It's just art. Yeah. But, but then to come and say that the guy has no talent, like, no, that's not a, you know, like, he's a genius in why he does. It might not be what you like, but he's a genius in why he does. You know, and for me, it's the same. Like, right now, there's songs that say something to me, songs that don't, you know? So, again, Out of the Woods is a very different way of expressing myself than Graham is. We don't even have a bass player live. We have bass recorded tracks and synths that we play mm-hmm. through a bass amp, like keyboards with very low end that we play through a bass amp, you know? Oh, wow, okay. Are you using, uh, like, any guitar synths, like a Roland GR30 or anything as well? No, no, just use the fractal. And all the effects come from the fractal, which comes with a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and and again, that and that's it. Like we we just played it, and you know, it, it's a very different approach of expressing myself. But I thought it was, it was great because for for me, ultimately, the song is the king. Mm-hmm. If it's a good song, like it's a good song, doesn't really matter, you know. Like, and again, a good song can come from anybody, you know. Like, could be a good rap song, could be a good, you know. Because remember, this one time, right? I saw like um, Alan Holdsworth, which one of the goats that ever was a guitar playing. You know, like one of the most complex musicians you can possibly dream of being or whatever. And uh, I saw him playing one of his gigs and like um, Virgil Donati was on drums, mm-hmm. which, you know, Virgil was a beast, one of the most technical drummers ever lived. And like so many, you know, 17ths and 11 16ths and all those weird time signatures and stuff. And, and I was like, and I really thought like, oh, my God, I'm going to see those guys playing together. That might be the best concert that ever happened in the history of mankind. But in all fairness, after three songs, I was like, I need a hook. I'm not saying this is bad, but like I need something to, to grab onto. Right. Well, but that's the difference between appreciating the technicality of something versus yeah. the the enjoyment of it. And sometimes, like uh, I have some friends who have a Van Halen podcast, and I'm not a big Van Halen fan. I've just never right. really gotten into their music. Mm-hmm. But when I listen to an individual song they talk about, I'm like, that's a pretty decent song. Yeah. Then they asked me to do like a, a, an album rating, like just take, you know, put the songs in order of which, which you like from best to worst. And what I found was I didn't actually like the album to listen to a song here and there was one thing, but song after song after song, yeah. it was just like the same thing. And it didn't, there was nothing exciting going from one to another. So I think there's a big difference between that. You can appreciate an artist, but yeah. not necessarily a package that the artist creates. Right. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, the whole night of that, you're like, you know, and again, like after this particular gig, after, uh, you know, like Virgil and uh forgot his name. Star player. Uh, was, oh, um, yeah, just talking about him. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it was in the recording. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Alan Holdsworth. After hearing yeah. Alan and Virgil for a whole night, like I went home and I was like, man, I'm going to listen to some Ramones because <laughs> I just want something <laughs> simple just to kind of. You know, a couple chords and yeah. nice little rock and roll lyrics, and that's it. Just, you know, simple. And, and that's good, because that's what I'm saying. I mean, like, you know, why is the Ramones better than, than that? Or why is that that better? You know what I'm saying? Like, of course, it's a lot more complex, and I appreciate for what it is. Sure. I appreciate, like, I can never touch that material as a writer or as a player. I mean, if I, as a player, if I can, yeah, if I practice, for sure, I can play as a mom. If right. I practice, but, like, you know, we have to take me a lot of hours, and, you know, and I don't know if I have the interest on it. Because yeah. I don't listen to that kind of stuff personally. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's just like, yeah, yeah. it's okay. 
Exactly. Right. Yeah. It, like I just I not go, what I do and what I like. You know, I go in moods like like sometimes I just want to hear Beethoven. I'll just like put on some Beethoven because right. that's what I want to hear. And sometimes I want to hear Metallica, and sometimes yeah. I want to hear Grand Bonnet. You know, it's yeah. it's it's all based on mood. Um, so my last question for you, because I, I I have a feeling you're one of those guys that doesn't put the guitar down a whole lot. <laughs> that, that you that you often have it on you or in your hand. Yeah. Um, I was on Steve Morris Morris from Deep Purple started doing some uh seminars online. And I was on the first one that he did, and it was about soloing. And he was talking, telling the story about how he just practices constantly. He'll be talking to people, but he'll be running scales on the guitar while he's talking to people in, in that. And so people would be asking him questions about smoke on the water, and he's saying, yeah, I didn't write that. And they'll ask more questions about it. And he's like, yeah, I didn't write that. And, but he's playing the whole time, yeah. you know, while he's doing it. Are you one of those guys that just like constantly practices, has it in your hand or? Yeah. 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 I, th I think definitely, especially later, like, you know, as, as again, as you was in the beginning of the recording, I had the guitar, but I, I, I've made a conscious decision to put it aside so we can focus on this conversation. <laughs> but yes, yes. It's, it's definitely a struggle because she's there and she's looking at me and, you know, but I'll, yeah, I'll, yes, I'll, I like to play guitar. I mean, you know, even Baphomet, she just giving me shit when she calls me and I'm like running scales and just little chord progressions and whatever. She's like, put the guitar down, I'll stop for a minute and you, you pick it up after. Yes, yes, I'm definitely one of those. Yeah, it, it's, it's a compulsion, it's an addiction. You know, a healthy one to an extent, I think, but um, I like I to think, keep a healthy one. But I think, though, to to keep your fingers nimble to really be able to grow beyond what you're doing or at least maintain where you are. Yeah. Especially as a more technical player, I think you have to. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And, and for me personally. Right. And again, like I, I this part the very first time I'm talking about this openly, but I, I will talk about this at some point. Just maybe I can help some people in the same situation. Uh, around 2018 or 17, I started having like issues with my left hand. And um, I started losing movements and phrases for me that were like so easy to to play. It just became very hard wow. to play, and because I was losing dexterity and, and strength and the movement and like anything with those two fingers, any phrase that involved those two fingers. So I started changing my fingering for those guys. But then eventually the whole thing started to get all messed up, and that's one of the reasons that out of the woods was very very simple in the, the writing and the playing. Because I was having this thing that eventually, after going to a bunch of doctors and physiotherapists and all sorts of things and all sorts of exams, MIRs from my whole head all the way to my hand and, you know, scanning everything, it was basically this thing called, I was diagnosed with the single focal dystonia, which Victor Wooten has also, which basically you, you kind of, a movement for you was super easy. You started to have like, either weakness or you lose control of your muscle, your movement, or you have spasms. Basically, I was doing this, and then this finger was jumping on the side. Like So I had to, at some point, and you can see that live between those ears. On the last tours, it's not there anymore, and I'm grateful, very grateful. Oh, good. But before that, like you can see videos of me, and there's even photos that I had to put my pinky behind the neck and just play like this, because wow. the pinky was cramping and having spasms. So I feel like before having this, I was practicing but i i feel a little bit like a dick saying this but i think the guitar for me kind of came easy i didn't have to there was just something that for me was a little natural so i practiced but not so much but i think after this i definitely it's almost like life had to like look if you invest more time on this you can be better like so be a little more disciplined so i got a lot more 
But anyway, long story short, after that, I figured out this was all like in my mind. It was all a psychosomatic thing. It wasn't nothing physical. And then like, you know, with a couple exercises, like journaling or there is this American doctor called John Sarno. He wrote a book about back pain and chronic, chronic back pain, right? Mm-hmm. And he talks about like all those chronic physical things in your body. They all have, you know, they all start in your subconscious. It's all your mind. So you're not conscious of that. And after reading this book and like talking to a lot of doctors and no doctors that started thinking, they slap you with the whole diagnostic of focal dystonia, which basically oh, is in your mind, but you don't know how to cure. Like some, some guys have to take like Botox injections. So the muscles stop having spasms and stuff, but it's just basically in your mind. So after starting just reading this book and just starting to meditate and just work on my anxiety, work on stage fright, work on a bunch of stuff. It got a lot better, and it's almost like 100% now, thank God. But like when I was starting, and that's one of the reasons too, when I was starting doing work, uh, with recording day out in nowhere, I was still in the thick of struggling with it. Wow. And I even told Graham, like, look, look, Graham, if I'm like, be honest, I can write and produce, but if I cannot play at the level I have to, maybe we just get somebody else to play, and that's all right. I'm just producing and write it, you know. But then I was, you know, I, I, I figured out a way and. It sounded great. There's a good album. There's some of my best solos there, even with that. And That's uh, amazing. I'm so glad that you're you're okay now. Do yeah. you feel do you feel hundred percent comfortable now walking out on stage in front of a crowd? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the, to be honest, like as far as the last sort of still a couple of little symptoms, it's still like, oh, because I haven't used those fingers like that for a while. But uh, yeah, for right now, like definitely like, you know, I it got a lot better. It was just about like really your mind just focusing on yourself and just you know just just being in peace and just not being anxious and um well that's a whole different conversation again I, I never really talked about this because there's always the fears that you have like oh if people know your hands fucked and they won't call you for the next job or for the next audition but i definitely turned down auditions during this period because i, I wasn't comfortable about my playing this time you know well that was like, smart though because you're not going to do well in the audition yeah. if you, you know and you probably do more damage than you would turn yeah. it down yeah and, you know, and, and again, and I was honest with Graham laughing me, and they, they, and they were like, you know, they saw the struggle, but they're like, man, you still sound great. You still sound like yourself. And again, looking back now, watching the videos, even if I had to put my finger behind the neck, which you can clearly see in some videos and photos mm-hmm. on my social media and stuff, like, it doesn't, the sound of it still sounds good, you know? So it's like, because I hear even Steve Morris now, he was struggling with arthritis in one of the hands, right? I mean, yeah, I he's like bone on bone at this point. Yeah. 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 There's like all that, all that buffer and filler is gone. Yeah. Uh, but he's, but he's going out on another tour. He just announced he's got a few dates with, uh, with Steve the Steve Morse Morse band. band. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Open, opening for the drags. Yeah. Uh, uh, I love that that guy doesn't give up. I love that you didn't give up either because I think a lot of people mm-hmm. just get scared and fold in that situation. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like to think so. Uh, that uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, for me it was like, uh, and again, it's a very humbling experience, and I think I need it in a way because like, it just really shows you that like, again, you're there to. For me, what what really did to me for an experience, what I really learned was like, what I'm there for, and I'm there to to do to entertain the listeners. But that being said, the first listener, it's me. I am the first listener of what I'm playing. Because I sometimes I even listen to that inside my head before I play. So I'm just there to have a good time playing what I like and entertain the people. Entertain, like, you know, bring music to people, like, you know. And I start focusing. It's like, it's not about, and when I, and, and again, like, when I took the whole thing of, like, trying to compete and, like, oh, 
you got to be the next guy that's like changing guitar history because, you know, Ram playing with Inve and Vi and all that. When I took that pressure out and I'm like, look, I'm just going to play stuff I like and write music I'm proud of and write music I like listening. And, you know, people will gravitate towards it. And that's once I start thinking about that, I was like, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to like, I'm not going to I'm not trying to prove like, oh, I'm like, you know, oh, Inve, Steve and Schenker and like, you know, because all those names. So he's just a geek that has that pressure on the guitar player. Yeah. But once I'm like, was able to just like, you know what? I'm here and just doing my thing. I'm just having a good time and I'm doing the best I, I can and I'm enjoying and, you know, playing music and writing music. And I'm just here to entertain the people so people can come here and there's one hour, an hour and a half. They're watching us. They're having a good time and they come back happier to their houses. That, that's what I'm there to do. I'm not like right. trying to change guitar history. Once you take this pressure off your shoulder, you know. Yeah. And it, it's it's understandable that there would be that kind of yeah. you know shadow over your shoulder feeling oh, yeah. but i think if you're you know we were, we were talking before we started recording about like you know bands that you go and see them and you you could tell they're not a unit on stage and the audience feels that right but, but in the reverse of that is the audience feels when you're having a good time they'll get into oh, yeah. it they get that energy as well and so if you're doing that that on top of your your talented playing will get them there Just yeah exactly there. Yeah, the, 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 that's hundred percent. And like, but you know, you was definitely I had to just like get to that, you know, because even like at first it was it was hard in the beginning because even reviews, you know, there was always this like the even a show like oh the guy you know of course he's not an Eve or a Vibe but he's pretty good. I'm like. It's like it's like okay, thanks for telling me. <laughs> it fascinates me. You know what I'm saying? And, and this... I'm like, but we a, have this like we have to yeah. categorize everything. We have to put everything right. at levels, and we have to compare everything. I don't yeah. get the mentality. To me, it's either I like this or I don't like this. And at the right. end of the day, that's all that matters. I don't yeah. care if you're better or worse because that's so subjective anyway. Yeah. You know, all right, somebody plays faster than you. Does that make them better? Not necessarily. Right. You know, it's all. What you do, does it mesh with yeah. my tastes and, you know, what I enjoy or, or gravitate towards, yeah. which it does in our case. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, like I, I liked Yngwie's first couple albums. And after that, I think he kind of just lost me. And, yeah. and you know, that's fine, too. But I'm certainly yeah. not going to say, well, you know, you're better than him on this day, but not on that day. So here you're a four and here you're a fuck all that. You know what? Yeah. I enjoy your playing. That's all I care about. That's, that's yeah, Exactly. And then that's all I, all I care about, too, is like, you know. Go out there. I enjoy what I'm playing, and like you know, and you know, and if they keep calling me back, I'm sure I'm doing something right. You know, like I mean, again, I I think that by now I'm probably one of the guitar players that have more official releases with Graham. So that's that's something, you know, and and again, and that's one of the reasons too that I feel like I gravitate more towards guys like Richie and Schenker, and I love playing those materials better than the Alcatraz stuff because. Those guys is all about the song. It's all about the riff. You know, sure, there's incredible solo and lead work with both of them. I mean, they're yeah. incredible. They're both game changers, you know. Mm -hmm. They're both architects of hard rock and metal guitar playing. Both of them, Michael Schenker and Richard Blackmore, on their own different ways of doing it. They're both yeah. geniuses. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But they're very much about the riff. They're very much about the song, about the feel, about the songwriting you know and i and i and I, I i gravitate naturally more towards that than just you know which is okay too but i think for me it's, it's partly because that's what i grew up on was that whole yeah. you know purple extension extended yeah. family you mm -hmm. know when you consider bands like white older white snake and yeah older white snake yeah uh, bernie was a master of that man bernie madsen is like incredible guitar player. guy so songwriter and 
Yeah. Christ, yeah. But I think I think I also learned more from them because I like that style more than the shred kind of style. Yeah. It's nice to have once in a while, but it's just not yeah. what I gravitate towards. And uh, nothing's wrong with any of it. it and that's no. what I think people need to get over is just right. stop comparing, stop grading, just enjoy what yeah. you enjoy, give everything a chance. And if you don't like yeah. it, wait a year and give it another chance. Yeah, I, 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 100%. Because even that happened to me. There's some bands that before I'm like, eh, but now I'm like, hmm, I get it. I think yeah. I get it. You know, it's like when you're saying that like Van Halen was never really your thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I love Van Halen. But for me, ACDC was not my thing for a while. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't understand. I mean, sure, Back in Black and some of the big ones. But then eventually at this point, like in life, there's sometimes that I, I, you know, because I was directed more, so it was a little more complicated music and slightly more melancholic mm-hmm. and emotionally charged, like the Purple Rainbow, a few Richie Blackmore stuff. It's always very dramatic and, yeah. you know, and especially in the Rainbow era. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Deep Purple is a little boozier, but like Richie on Rainbow is very dramatic. It's very emotionally charged, the, the lyrics mm-hmm. and and all that and i gravitate a lot more towards that but then like you know uh, the, the older i get I, sometimes i just want to play some rock and roll and just you know drink a coffee and just go to the gym so i think acdc for those kind of moments is like perfect soundtrack you know yeah. if you're driving and just like a simple four chord rock and roll with a good groove and it's like you know what i'm saying like i mean I, and i'm again i'm not dissing on acdc's work oh yeah no, means. No, i mean no. how can you like you right. know but I'm just saying as far as like appealing to me and, you know, and to what makes me happy. Like at first I didn't get it, like, you know, but then like now I'm like, yeah, like I understand now. It's like, you just need like some few good kind of vibey rock and roll and they're perfect for that. And and their their riffs are so catchy. It's Amazing, incredible yeah. how yeah. stuck they get in your head, just hearing the oh, first yeah. three or four notes and yeah. it's just right there, you know? Oh yeah. Well, well, Conrad, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to to seeing what happens with you next. Please let me know when the EP comes out. I would. I will. I will. Yeah, we definitely have like this new out of the woods thing coming up, which would be interesting. Like a lot of eight string guitars and guitar solos, and a little heavier is a different thing. Uh, You know, I'm also working a couple of different projects. We, you know, and we're gonna be hitting the road soon with 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 the GBB with Grand Wanted Band. We have like a Scandinavian tour coming out soon. Yeah, in Sweden and Finland, we have a couple state states that we're like almost closing out the details so we can start just talking about like whatever, like have an LA show. I think we'll have the Midwest, and we might we we will do a run with Marco Mendoza, which me and the drummer probably will be the same band for both. Oh, very cool. So yeah, that'll be exciting. Be like, I'll be double billing. I'm just going to say that I did see Graham with Michael Shanker when they were doing the Michael Shanker Fest tour. With no, that was a great show. It was yeah. unbelievable. Uh, but that was at the House of Blues here at Mandalay Bay. Mm. And I happen to think that that would be a wonderful stage for the Graham Bonnet Band. Yeah, that would be amazing. For sure. For sure. That would be, yeah, hopefully. Just I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, let's just throw it out there. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, you yeah, take I never, care. I never friend. played Vegas. All right, you did. You too. Yeah, keep in touch and uh, keep me posted. I, I I can't wait to hear what this sounds like. All right. All right, I'll have all the links for you guys in the show notes. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. We'll be back on our normal Wednesday rotation next week. I think we're finishing up the, uh, oh, what was it? The uh, Young Guns 2 soundtrack recording that I did with Corey Morissette, my former Aerosmith podcast partner. We'll talk about that too. Cheers, guys. Cheers.